we had talks about, okay, how do I live the Christian life? How do I go about following Jesus? And I said, I think one of the things that is really valuable is memorizing scripture. And she said, okay, so where did I start? I told her to start with John 14, because I knew life for her was very unpredictable. There were many uncertainties. She was a refugee in a foreign country, and her family was in different places. Life was not going to be easy for her. So within less than two weeks, she had the entire chapter of John 14 memorized. Uh, We chose other passages, and uh, she memorized those. She spoke about how that there were times when awful thoughts, she'd be doing laundry or, or washing dishes or whatever, and these awful thoughts would come to her mind. And she would start quoting the scripture, and she said, and that just changed her outlook on life. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith, from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is Janet Nickel, who is currently serving in Sierra Leone with World Hope International, which works with anti-trafficking efforts and also personally just feels called to disciple others around her and in her sphere of influence. So she has some really neat stories. She talks about things that are pretty heavy realities, but at the same time, it's it's so clear that God is in those situations, working things out, restoring people, redeeming people, and to hear Janet share just from in the midst of it is so encouraging. Now, the thing about today's interview is because of where Janet is at, we didn't have a good enough connection to have a live conversation, but I wanted to be able to share her story, and so I sent her some questions and had her record her answers, which she did a fantastic job of doing, but then after that, I recorded my responses and myself asking the questions, so it is a little bit scripted, but I tried to make it as natural as possible for your listening, so just know that up front, but it's still a fantastic quote-unquote conversation. Janet is sharing some fantastic stories, some fantastic insights and perspective today. So I hope that you enjoy listening, and I hope that God uses this conversation to speak to you today. Enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Janet. I'm excited to get to hear your story today. Before we get to that, can you start us off by sharing some context for our listeners? Where are you at, and what does life look like for you right now? Hello, Alicia, and uh, those who are listening. I am Janet Nickel, working in Sierra Leone, West Africa, which is a small country on the west coast of Africa. I'm working with an anti-human trafficking project and making disciples uh, with people in my sphere of influence. I have worked full-time with this project for the past almost 18 years now, and 
have reduced that to just three days a week and spending more time with the disciple making. Gotcha. So starting as far back as you'd like, what are some of the things that have gotten you where you are today? How did you end up doing this work in Sierra Leone? So when I think about how I got to this place, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, There were many opportunities for me to hear the gospel. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was three years old. And since, you know, it wasn't uh, too sure to me uh, because I didn't remember so well when I was seven, I reconfirmed that. But we had lots of missionaries who came around they were in our home, they were in our church, they were in the Christian school where my father and mother taught. And so I had a lot of contact with missions. But when I was 10, I sensed a call that uh, one day I would be a missionary. It was necessary to think in terms of what would I do in a missions environment And uh, education was uh, where my gifting seemed to be and interest. And so I studied at Fort Wayne Bible College and got a degree in education and Bible and theology. I had the opportunity to learn to teach by teaching in the U.S. for five years. I was in a place in the States that was different than my home. And so had the opportunity to start kind of a a cross-cultural kind of perspective on life. When I had been teaching for a while and the opportunity came, I ended up coming to Sierra Leone to teach at a school for missionaries' children. And I felt like I had found my my niche. This uh, was what I was meant for. That was going along just fine. I loved living in Sierra Leone, and the work with the children was was rewarding. But there was a civil war, and uh, ended up that uh, I was evacuated, and so life changed. I went to Russia for a year and three months to work with the commission which uh, was working to use the Jesus film and other curriculum in the public schools to train teachers to use a Christian ethics and morality curriculum in the public schools there. And we also uh, were starting home Bible studies. It was a rewarding experience, very different than living in Sierra Leone, but the The team that I worked with, the people that I met, uh, we saw lives changed and and transformed. I then uh, ended up in Nigeria at an international school for missionaries' children in Jos and taught for two years there. I was happy to be back in Africa. It wasn't back home in in Sierra Leone, but at least I felt like I was uh, back in Africa. But as the war was going on, and many people were uh, refugees from Sierra Leone, and it was linked to the war in Liberia as well, 
So I had the opportunity then to work with another family in Guinea with refugees from Sierra Leone and Liberia. That was a a really challenging time. Work with refugees was not easy. We worked in the refugee camps, helping with Bible studies, children's ministry, outreach, disciple-making, Bible studies with youth and youth activities, and working with people who were not well, who were trying to get medical treatment and many different kinds of things. I was really happy to be, again, working with uh, Sierra Leoneans. And it was right next door. And uh, so I felt like I was getting closer to being back in Sierra Leone. Then in 2004, the opportunity came for me to work in Sierra Leone with this anti-human trafficking project. I knew almost nothing about anti-trafficking. I had heard bits and pieces on the radio about trafficking, but I didn't know that much about it. So it was a steep learning curve for me to begin in this work, but at least I knew about Sierra Leone. I knew about Sierra Leone culture. I had language facility to be able to talk with people. I had some uh, understanding of worldview and culture. And so I was able to adapt uh, what I was learning about uh, trafficking to know what was going on in Sierra Leone. So I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had to impact the lives of people. Most of my uh, engagement is with our staff. I don't directly work too much with survivors. We have a shelter, but that is all staffed by Sierra Leoneans. We have community work. I do some engagement with uh, community people, but it's better if uh, the staff who are are local are are speaking into those situations and interacting with community people and survivors. Yeah, that makes sense. I love how you described Sierra Leone as home. And even though it's a little bit of a winding road, God was faithful to really establish you there. Do you have any specific stories to share from your experiences, either in the past 18 years or from before? Maybe moments where you saw the transformative power of the gospel at work in someone's life, or similar moments you've gotten to be a part of indirectly through your work? So I wanted to share about a significant part of what it means to be involved in this kind of ministry and my experience. I believe that God has called me to make disciples, and He's given me many different ways for that to happen. But I want to share about a situation and a person that I met in Guinea, who was a refugee from Sierra Leone. She was the housekeeper at the guest house where we stayed. And then when I actually moved into an apartment, uh, I asked her to be my housekeeper. 
And then we moved to a town that was close to the refugee camp. And I asked her to come with me and uh, work for me and the family that I was team members. So Ruth joined me and we lived together. During uh, the first few weeks, we had a conversation and she explained about something that had been convicting her because she had stolen from me and she felt that she had to confess that. So we discussed and we talked about it and I forgave her and we talked about what that means and uh, how it works in her life. And she then shared how she had stolen from someone else and she wanted me to take back and to go talk to the person on her behalf. And I said, no, that's something you have to do yourself. And it was hard, but it it happened. And we had talks about, okay, how do I live the Christian life? How do I go about following Jesus? And we, you know, the normal things of studying scripture, praying, being involved in community of believers. But I said, I think one of the things that is really valuable is memorizing scripture. And she said, okay, so where did I start? I told her to start with John 14, because I knew life for her was very unpredictable. And there were many uncertainties. She was a refugee in a foreign country, and her family was in different places. And life was not going to be easy for her. So within less than two weeks, she had the entire chapter of John 14 memorized. And she could start at the beginning and go all the way to the end. She could say a a verse number and quote it. She could go forwards and backwards and pull it all out. And uh, so then we moved to the Sermon on the Mount. And she started memorizing Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, We chose other passages, and uh, she memorized those. She spoke about how there were times when awful thoughts, she'd be doing laundry or, or washing dishes or whatever, and these awful thoughts would come to her mind. And she would start quoting the scripture, and she said, and that just changed her outlook on life. Well, when it got to the point that I had about a year left uh, with that time, we decided to do something different. We wanted to read the Bible through together and to read it in a year. We used a chronological study where not just starting at Genesis and going all the way through, but passages were selected to read the entire Bible through, but in the order in which it happened. So we started in January, and we had to get finished by the beginning of December, so we, we pushed a bit. 
that experience of reading the entire Bible out loud with somebody who is from a different culture and a different worldview and a different perspective was one of the best experiences of my life. Yes, I'd read it through before several times, but to see it from the perspective of someone who had never read it was so heart-touching and opened my eyes to different perspectives. I remember specifically when we read the story of the flood, and she started crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, everyone died. Everyone died. And for me, I, I had not grasped that in a way that uh, it came to me at that time. There were so many different things that I saw in a new light. And it was amazing. At the end of our time together, and throughout that year, as we were reading, she was saying, you know, okay, you're going to be leaving, and I don't know what to do. And I said, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what to do next. But God is going to show you. And as we got closer to the end of the year, she said, God has made it very clear that I need to go back to my family in Sierra Leone because they don't know Jesus. And so the other missionaries that I was with, we, we commissioned her to uh, return to Sierra Leone and to find ways and means that she would be able to share the gospel with her family. And it's so wonderful to see that many of of her family are now believers in Jesus. We parted ways in early December of 2003 and didn't know if we'd ever see again. But God worked out for me to come back to Sierra Leone, and we were able to connect again. And I was working with this anti-trafficking project. When uh, we had reports of people having been trafficked in the area where she was living, we did our activities there, and um, it seemed that we needed to hire somebody to work in that area, to do community awareness, to respond to uh, reports, to interact with government officials and those sorts of things. And she was one of the ones that applied for that position. And we hired her. So within the first few days, uh, we were doing orientation about what human trafficking is. And she was staying with me. And that first evening, she came to me and said, Janet, it seems like I was almost trafficked. And so I asked, well, what happened? And uh, she told me her story of how when she was just out of secondary school and things were very difficult for her, 
And it was at the time the when the war was just beginning, or just before the war was starting. And a friend told her, well, you're feeling discouraged and down. Why don't we go on holiday to Liberia? You can get your mind off things and just have a little vacation. And so she went. But along the way, the friend said, oh, I forgot something. But you go ahead with this man that, that is helping us. I'll meet you there in a couple days. She went on, and when she got to Liberia, um, the man took her to a place and wanted to have sex with her. And she said, no, I, I didn't come for that. I, I just came for a holiday, and I'm waiting for my friend to come. And he said, don't you know I bought you from her? You're mine now. And she was there in that brothel for uh, almost two years. And I told her, Ruth, um, you were trafficked. That's what happens in trafficking. She knew firsthand, but she never had any label for it. That had happened uh, several years before we met in Guinea, and I had, even though we were such close friends, she'd never told anyone. God has worked in her life. She became a person who would uh, speak to communities. She would tell her story. She would fight for young girls who were, were being exploited. And she worked with us for quite some time. God has used her in many ways. And she is now working with an organization that is working with women with disabilities. And she's managing a program that brings transformation to some of the least of the least, those who are oppressed, those who uh, have no opportunities, and they are seeing lives transformed. What a, a blessing to be a part of that journey for both her and me and those whom God is, is uh, bringing across our paths. I would also share about a survivor who was identified. Uh, she came to our care uh, as a 14-year-old. She had an 18-month-old child. They had been through some very difficult situations. They were both HIV positive. And I've never seen anyone who looked that sad. She was very withdrawn. She didn't want to care for her child. She didn't talk. She wouldn't make eye contact. But the staff in our shelter took care of her and the child. They loved on her, were there just being loving, caring people. I don't go to the shelter that often, but a few months later, I went to the shelter. And there was some people who came to the, 
door where of the vehicle when I was getting out and I looked at her and I thought she looks familiar but doesn't and I asked who is that and they told me well that's the one who came who looked so sad she was now smiling she was interacting she was taking care of her child and what a difference it makes when a person feels loved, belonging, cared for, and starts to restore uh, their sense of dignity and worth. As time went on, she became prepared to live a life in a community and to go on with life and care for a child. What a, a blessing to have a, a, a part in bringing restoration and healing to lives of people. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some powerful stories. And they speak to some really heavy realities. But like you said, what a blessing for there to have been restoration and redemption in those situations and in so many others. I would love to hear because this platform that you have in this position that you're in have some incredible life-changing potential. But we know as Christians that we don't have any ability to transform a person in a meaningful way outside of Christ. So I would love to hear how you've protected and grown your relationship with the Lord all these years and how you've seen him guiding you. I've often said that I can't do this work without Jesus. The work with anti-trafficking is uh, demanding. You hear so many stories, and secondary PTSD is uh, a recognized issue with people who work with survivors. I have, have experienced burnout and have been working at not letting it happen again. It was also very difficult working with the refugees. I definitely uh, burned out after that and, and needed restoration. I would not have been functional if it had not been for the work that Jesus does in my heart through his word. Like I said, that reading the scripture to... Uh, see how it applies. Another part that is significant is community. Other believers who work on this together, those who nurture and care for and we enjoy doing life together. God has placed some amazing people in my life, uh, housemates or team members, and we have done life together. And that has been a significant part of my ability to be able to work in difficult situations. I also know that within the culture here, it's very common for people to seek advice from someone elderly or someone that they respect. And if I'm not careful, I can try and come up with ideas. But 
I find that most of the times I really feel at a loss. And that's when just praying and asking God to help me know what it is I should say, but also to direct people into finding that relationship with with Jesus themselves, that they are able to hear God's voice, that the Holy Spirit is working in them and has the answers for the questions and the challenges of their lives. I think I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guiding so that I am not just quickly putting in an answer. And so, what have I done? That time in the Word every day, praying, working with people who have one mind and a goal, that those are important. But I also think that being a learner, getting acquainted with people, and taking each opportunity that comes my way, I, I can get really frustrated with lots of interruptions because they happen all the time and people want this or want that. But when I have looked at it and I take the perspective, okay, God, uh, this is not a surprise that you're in my, my planning and in my day today. So help me to take this opportunity as something from you. I did also have to step back and not overwork. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I'm able to do this part-time interaction with the anti-trafficking work and discipleship in other ways and interacting with people in other ways because that has helped. I've been able to find some counselors uh, different times and I've learned to read my, my body, my thought processes, and getting much better at trying to uh, return to joy, to identify what it is that is um, bringing me down instead of bringing me into the fullness that God has for me. Mm. Those are some great practices, and I especially love what you said about relying on God's answers, not your own. And I also loved how you talked about looking for God's purposes and the things that we might see as distractions or frustrations. So there's some really good takeaways there. As we wrap up, could you give our listeners a glimpse of the church in your area of Sierra Leone? Based on what you've seen, what characteristics mark it? What are some of its greatest strengths, and what are some of its needs? When it comes to the issue of the church. Anywhere you go, it's varied. And uh, I find myself uh, engaged in a couple different ways with, with the church. There are really strong believers in the church that I attend and people who are committed to following after Jesus. I still, though, find that I have to 
make sure that I take responsibility for my interaction uh, with God and his people. I can't just depend on somebody pouring it into me and making a time of worship be something that interacts with my, my spirit as it should be. There is also, though, a lot of prosperity gospel taking place in Sierra Leone, and that is an outpouring of a response to the difficult situations of life. Most people in Sierra Leone are living at subsistence level, and it's a day-to-day, hand-to-mouth survival. And people are not looking at the future too much. Planning for the future isn't happening. But there has to be some sort of hope. And so many people are looking to the church and to a man of God to uh, pronounce some prophetic blessing. And uh, that somehow they will receive God's blessings that will remove the the pain, the difficulties, and the, the suffering that they're dealing with. But Sierra Leone also has a very illiterate population, unfortunately, and there's efforts to do more. But for that reason, many people um, do not read the Scripture themselves. They're not engaging with the Word of God personally. And so I see that the foundation that many people have is is small. It's not firm. And so I think that this aspect of people getting into the Word of God themselves is very important And anything that we can do to encourage that can be done. I've been involved in an adult literacy class and trying to see whether or not uh, we can continue with that. Uh, COVID messed that up. and, And so there are still people who want to learn to read. Uh, but just the cost of a Bible, uh, is often something that people see as beyond their means. The strength of the church is a sense of liveliness and energy, and that there is a strong belief that God is able to do amazing things. And so, if the Word of God can be rooted in the lives of individuals who will reach out this will will really make a difference in the lives of people in Sierra Leone. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story and perspective today. Before we end this, do you have any prayer requests related to you, your ministry, or your community? When it comes to prayer requests, I think discernment is a big one for me, that I would know uh, what activities, what uh, relationships to engage in, and 
where do I prioritize my time, my energy, so that I will really be doing the things that God wants me to do, that I will have the wisdom and insight to respond and to react and to pursue relationships and uh, engagement with people. For the work of anti-trafficking, I would ask that you pray for our staff because they are the ones who are meeting the challenges day after day, hour by hour, working with survivors, working with community people, working with government officials, that they would really be able to do that in the power of the Spirit and have um, the insights to know how to meet each situation. As far as our community, as you know, uh, these days, uh, the economy is, is difficult, and it's a problem for everyone in, the, in our community, uh, in our city, and in our country here. Prices have increased, but wages have not. And people are struggling to be able to make ends meet. So you can pray that the things that are put in place to try to deal with the uh, economy will actually be effective and that the people in authority will make decisions that will benefit and be for the the common good. Thank you for hearing what uh, God has, has been doing and how He has worked in and through my life. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.